0: And to all the fathers, happy Father's Day. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Pastor John. I am not the senior pastor here at First Church. Um, our pastor, uh, Harold Hoffman, is feeling sick today. So I got the call to pinch hit yesterday. And so when that happens, of course, what you do is, is you decide to get real spiritual and uh, you know you pray really hard and you start interceding and god you're gonna have to bail me out so um, i'd like to show my notes this is what less than 24 hours of notice looks like on my notes and so for all of you that can see that we got sammy right here for the live stream thank you for everybody for being here on the live stream we missed you canada and uh, this is what the notes look like now normally Normally, I don't like to have a bunch of notes because I find as a speaker, I'm married to my notes and I feel like I have to say everything that I took the time to write down. So normally, this, this, is, uh, this is worse than normal for me, but uh, not too bad. So with that being said, I would like to go ahead and have everybody stand in honor of reading the Word of God. It's been so nice to be in Sunday service today today experiencing the presence of God. Um, I will be reading out of the book of Esther, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. Did everybody get all that? Next verse, and it was so when the uh, king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near, touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said unto her, what wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be given thee to half of the kingdom. Everybody say "He, he had it bad. He he was going to give her half of the whole kingdom. This guy's in love. And um, so I just want to talk to you just for I'll be mindful of the time. It's Father's Day. I know everybody's probably got plans. But if you would just take the next 30 to 45 minutes and discipline your mind. I believe God has given me something for today. And then I want to see if God doesn't do something at the end of the service because we can come and we can play church we can sing songs and we can hear messages but if god doesn't show up and show off and do what only he can do then this place is no different than the place down the road i want god to do something today lord jesus we are thankful i honor you for being in in the house of god today we are blessed mighty god to know you to serve you to belong to you to have access to your word and your presence mighty god please help me Lord, with wherever I error or fault, Lord, fill in my gaps that you would be magnified nonetheless. Operate through us. Let everybody have an open mind and an open heart to receive your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this is the story of Esther that I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. For those who are not, I would just like to do a, a little bit of a, a recap of what led up to the verse that we read today. Uh, there was a king, the Medes and the Persians kingdom. And, uh, you know, he it was a very, very wealthy kingdom, very, very successful. And they wanted to, the king wanted to display his wealth and to display his power. So in a, an act of sheer humility, he decides let's throw a party and invite all of these princes and princesses to to our kingdom so we can show off our wealth so we can you know be boastful and and show off everything that we have and this party went on for 180 days that's that's a heck of a party that's not so much a party but it's more like you've got roommates right you've got live-in roommates for 180 days but um you know at this party it says that each guest got their own gold cup. Can you imagine that? You ever been to a party and, and they passed out party favors and you get the little you know, little kazoo thing and this guy's handing out gold cups. Thanks for coming to the, to the party for 180 days. Here's a gold cup because they wanted their wealth to be on display. And so the Bible goes on to say that the king was merry with wine. And so the Hebrew translation for that is that he was drunk off his rocker. OK, like, can you imagine that's 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 Bible talk for he was wasted. Yeah. He was merry with wine and he gets this idea. You know what? I'm going to send for the queen. Her name's Vashti. And the Bible says that she was very fair. She was a, a beautiful to look at. And he says, I'm going to go send for her. And the Bible doesn't specify the why behind that, but we can have some inference here and and put some things together. He's already wanting to be showing off. He's already wanting to be boastful. And he's drunk. And he says, you know what? Go get that trophy wife of mine. It's like Talisha right there. That's my trophy wife. She is. And he says, go get her. I'm going to parade her around. And let all of these princes see, not only do I have all this wealth in my kingdom, look at my wife, look at my bride, Queen Vashti is beautiful. And so the king sends for Vashti and she refuses. Understandably a little bit, right? You know, I'm not going to get paraded around just so you guys can look at me. And, And so she refuses the order of the king, which was against the law. You do not have the right to disobey the king, even if you disagree with the king. You have to be in submission and obedience to the king. And so the king becomes very, very upset, very, very angry. And of course, he's a little embarrassed in front of his pals, right? That he's trying to show off in front of. And and he decides, you know what? Um, Queen Vashti is no longer going to be the queen. We are going to remove her crown, remove her royal apparel... And, and she is now no longer going to be the queen. In fact, I think what I'd like to do is I'd like to replace her with a, a different queen, a better queen. And he puts Queen Vashti. We don't truly know what happened to her. Um, the Bible just says that she lost her royalty. She lost her crown. Uh, some people believe that she was put to death. Other people believe that she was banished from the kingdom. Truly, we don't know. All we know is that the king decided to establish the very first season of The Bachelor. <laughs> Any eligible lady in the kingdom was invited to become the potential to be the next queen. And, and, and this it sounds like something that might have happened quickly. Now, Esther is one of these people that was invited to potentially be the next Queen and it wasn't just like a you know parade of women and he gets to interact with each one and then picks one this was a process there was a long drawn out process before Esther even had a chance to meet the king or to be in his presence the Bible says there was a year a full year of preparation there was six months of what the Bible calls bitter herbs um, of purification, and then there were six months of sweet spices, and there was uh, um, a purification process. It took a year for Esther to be qualified to be in the presence of the king. And so I, I like to, you know, maybe do some comparisons between Vashti and and Esther. Um, Vashti was somebody who uh, allowed her feelings about being in the presence of the king when he sent for her, allowed her feelings to dictate her actions. Okay, This is so common for us. I don't feel like going to church today. I don't, I don't really feel like lifting my hands. You, you wouldn't believe the morning that I had. Uh, my feelings are going to dictate my actions. Esther is different. The story goes on to say that when she became queen, the king fell in love with her. She became queen, and about the time that she got promoted to, to being the queen, there was a guy by the name of Haman that got promoted to be second-income man right behind the king. And there was a decree that went out wherever Haman went. People had to bow down to him, and they had to you know, give honor to him. There's a guy by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai is actually Esther's cousin. I am throwing a lot of names at you, but just bear with me. Haman goes through the, throughout the town and people are bowing down. Imagine that, wherever you go, people bow down at you. Had to puff up your ego a little bit. And there's this one guy that's not following the king's decree. And, and that's Mordecai. Because Mordecai is a Jew. The Jews have the Ten Commandments which says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so Mordecai is not going to bow down to anyone or anything that is not his God, which infuriates Haman because he's got this ego, right? And, And so what he does is he begins to devise a plan, not just to kill Mordecai, but to kill all of the Jews. And Esther, the queen, is a Jew. And so he wants to kill all the Jews, but that would mean killing the queen as well um Mordecai the the, Haman was able to convince the king to set out a decree that all the Jews were to be put to death all the Jews were to be killed and Mordecai goes to Esther and starts trying to reason with her thank God for elders in our life that can reason with us and try to guide us a little bit and that's that's what Mordecai is to Esther saying listen you got to do something It could be that God has positioned you on the throne for such a time as this, that God, the puppet master of the universe, is just putting people in certain places and certain times because God knows what is in our tomorrows and he's already preparing the answer for the problem that hasn't even happened yet. And and Mordecai is reasoning with Esther. The problem is, if she goes to the king, the Bible says in the inner court, there was a law that said, you cannot approach the king uninvited or unannounced. You have to have an invitation to be in the presence of the king. And if she showed up without the invitation, she could be put to death. That's what was on the line. But remember Vashti. Her feelings dictated her actions. Esther says to Mordecai, listen, if I perish, I perish. Her faith was greater than her feelings of fear or doubt. She allowed her faith to dictate her actions and not her feelings. And we can learn a lot from Esther and her example and her decisions here. So that's the verse that we read is Esther has to go in the presence of the king She has to try to intercede on behalf of her people for her people to be saved. And and that's what happens. So she puts on, what's she do? Puts on her royal garment. I'm convinced she did her hair. I'm convinced that she put on some good smelling perfume and, uh, and walked into the presence of God or the presence of the King. Can you imagine being Esther in that moment? Not knowing if you were moments away from death or not. Remember, she's the one who replaced the previous king. She knows that the king has the power to just get another queen. So that's in the back of her head. She's breaking the law. She knows that. This one moment of amazing bravery and courage, acting in faith, because it's in the presence that you can have access to the power. And that's what this is about. She walks into the presence of the king, not knowing if death was coming for her or not. And the king sees her. And and I'm sure everybody's kind of looking. You know, this was the inner court. It's where decisions were made. He had counsel. And and everybody knows she just broke the law. And I'm sure they're looking at the king and then looking at her and saying, okay, what are we going to do? And what the king does is extends his royal scepter to her yes. as an invitation as an extension of the kingdom's power and authority saying nobody's going to touch you you are welcome in my presence yes. and that's where he says what do you want i'll give you i'll give you half the kingdom anything that you want it's amazing to me that the old testament has these examples of a procedure to get into the presence we can read about in the old testament there was something known as the tabernacle of moses this is the old testament i can summarize the old testament with a statement it's god's relationship with the jewish people he made a promise and a covenant to abraham that i will be your god you will be my people And that's the Old Testament. All the ups and all the downs. We're doing good. We're doing bad. God's happy with us. God's angry with us. We're in exile. He brings us back to Jerusalem. The whole Old Testament is all about God's relationship with the Jewish people. And God established in the book of Exodus when the Ten Commandments got handed out to Moses. He also got the blueprints for the tabernacle. That was the process not only to deal with sin... But you can't deal with sin unless you get into the presence. And and God established a process to the presence. You had to be a priest. This was without exception. If you were not a priest, you couldn't go into the presence of God. You had to be an aeronautic priest, which means from the lineage of Aaron. You couldn't just be any priest. You had to be a priest from Aaron's lineage. They had to get washed the day they would do the, the day of atonement, and they would take a, the animal sacrifice to the atone for the sins of the whole nation. They had to get publicly washed. They had to put on their royal priestly garments. They put on the, the linen ephod. There was a, a process of the animal sacrifice at the altar and they had to take that, that blood and they had to go wash at a laver, And then they went into um, an inner uh, uh, holy place where there was a table of showbread. There was altar of incense and a candlestick. Certain things had to be done before they got into the holy of holies which is where the presence of God was at. And that priest would crawl on his belly underneath this veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies, and he would start splashing that blood from the sacrifice from all the way back at the altar. And when it would land on the Ark of the Covenant, then the presence of God, it would land on the mercy seat, and the presence of God would begin to shine in between the two angels then and only then did the priest have access to the power of God to forgive the sin had to become in the presence of God because the presence precedes the power and there is a process in the old testament it's exclusive in fact if you and I if this church was in the old testament God wouldn't show up here God made a covenant with the Jewish people in the Old Testament. It wasn't to the Philistines or the Hittites or the Jebusites or the Canaanites. It was for nobody else but the Israelites. And so we would have church and we would have a godless church. You wouldn't have the presence of God. You wouldn't feel the love of God. God wasn't accessible to anybody but the Jews. And specifically, the honor of His presence was reserved for the priesthood. So this creates some problems with where we're at right now because I have a verse that says this the day, great day of the feast Jesus stood and said if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink any man it doesn't sound very exclusive to me anymore there's another verse that says if any of you are are um, labor and are heavy laden come unto me and I will give you rest. Peter preaches in Acts 2, he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The next verse says, for this promise is unto you, it's unto your children and all those who are far off. It doesn't sound, even sound like the same God. Before, you had to be exclusively a certain people. You had to be specifically within that people a priest. You had to go through a very specific process just to get into the presence to have access to the power. Something happened on this, on this page between Malachi and Matthew. Something happened. And I, and I tried to figure out what happened and it led me to genesis 49 verse 10 it says the scepter shall not depart from judah nor a lawgiver between his feet until shiloh come notice capital s and unto him shall the gathering together of the people be the power remember the scepter the power is the authority of the kingdom The scepter is with Judah. Judah is a tribe of Israel. There was 12 tribes. Judah is one of those tribes. The Messiah comes, it's prophesied, out of the tribe of Judah. That's why he's known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But there's a prophecy over Judah here that says the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, capital S. Shiloh means peace. Is there anybody that you know of that can be named peace? We know that the Word said God is love. We know that fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. This this is referencing the Messiah because it makes no sense for anybody else. But when the Bible says, unto Him shall the gathering together of the people be. So what happened with the arrival of Messiah? Messiah? No longer was the authority of the kingdom with the Jews. The authority of the kingdom was within Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the scepter of God extended to humanity. To you and I. God tore down the wall between himself and the Gentiles. It's why when he was crucified, they said the veil was ripped from top to bottom. He said, I'm getting out of the box. I'm becoming accessible to everybody. If any man thirst, let him come unto me. I will fill you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. God is now accessible. And Jesus is the scepter of God extended to humanity. Which is why we have this verse. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God. Or the scepter of God. Unto salvation. The Bible is very, very clear about this. What is the gospel? If it's important enough for the Bible to call it the power of God. It's important enough for us to try to research and figure out what exactly this gospel is. It's found in in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is teaching the gospel which I had preached unto you, the gospel that I have also received, how that Christ was buried or died and was buried and rose again the third day. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial and the resurrection. It's what saves us today. And it's the power of God unto salvation. So I like to just dive in a little bit about repentance. If, if you are here and you have never, never repented of your sins, if, if maybe it's been a long time since you've asked God to, to really change your heart, it, that's what repentance is. True repentance demands change. It's a change of mindset. It's a change of your heart. Um, I, I use this example whenever I'm teaching Growth Track 101. Um, and if you're supposed to be in Growth Track, you missed it you were supposed to be there when I started. But when I teach growth track, I always say this repentance. This is what I did when I was a teenager. I knew right and I knew wrong because it's something that's hardwired in us. That's why Joseph knew that it was a sin to commit adultery long before the law had ever been given. There's something internal about it. We know right and we know wrong. And so I knew I was doing wrong, but here was my safety net at the end of the day. Lord, I, I need you to forgive me for everything I did today. And uh, please help me to be ready for the rapture. In Jesus' name, amen. And that was what I did as a teenager. Let me, let me explain something that is not repentance, that is an abuse of God's mercy. True repentance demands change. You have to acknowledge I am a sinner. I need a savior. Without Jesus Christ, I have no hope. I am lost and, I, and there's no way I can get out of this except through him. So God, I need you not only to forgive me, but I need you to help me have a changed mind and a changed heart because I can't walk in this direction anymore. I have to start walking towards you and to grow in my spiritual walk with you, to grow in truth. That is repentance. It's a huge deal. In fact, it's such a big deal. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that is called to repentance. It doesn't say that about water baptism. It doesn't say that about whenever somebody gets filled with the spirit, all of heaven rejoices. It doesn't say that. He said when one sinner repents, all of heaven's rejoicing. All of it. It's a big deal. So Christ died. That is scriptural death is repentance. Repentance. But Christ was also buried. And if the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection, I've also got to be buried because Christ was buried. He's my example in all things. So if Christ was buried, how in the world do I get buried? Okay, I don't, I don't think anybody wants to be covered in a bunch of dirt, right? Not a good idea. But Romans teaches that we are buried with Christ unto baptism, okay? When you study that word baptism, the Greek word, New Testament's written in Greek, the Greek word is baptizo. It means to dip, immerse, or to plunge. That's why when somebody gets baptized, we don't do that thing, the sprinkle, right? Because it's not in here. If it's not in here, we're not going to do it. Completely underwater through immersion. Okay, now it's very very the Bible is very specific I quoted it earlier Peter preached in Acts 2 the name of Jesus Christ has to be spoken over you in water baptism yes. here's why Hebrews 9 says without the shedding of blood there is no remission so if you want your sins to get remitted you have to have blood not just any blood You can't have my blood. You can't have Sister Esther's blood, even though it's as as great as it can be. Like we're we're sinners. We have that tainted sin, uh, blood of sin. You have to have pure blood without blemish, without spot. The only blood that is qualified for that is the blood from Calvary. But that happened a long time ago. How do you access the blood that was shed for you and I over 2000 years ago? you have to have the name because Leviticus 17 11 says if you have the blood you have life of the flesh is in the blood but if if you John teaches I've come that you might have life through his name so when you speak the name of Jesus Christ it is it is the key that unlocks the vault to the blood from over 2,000 years ago If you don't have the name, you can't have access to the blood. If you don't have that blood, you can't have remission. It's a big deal. That's why we baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because that's not the name. Father, Son, Holy Spirit doesn't unlock the vault to the blood from Calvary. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ does. That's why the Bible says there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved and so you have a water baptism jesus taught in john 3 he says you must be born of the water and of the spirit and so water baptism that's pretty obvious born of the water but you have to be born of the spirit what is being born of the spirit the dead buried lifeless corpse that was in the tomb when jesus was on the cross, the bible says he gave up the ghost The spirit that lived in the body left the body. The body died. The spirit can't die. And so he's in the grave. And that spirit that left on the cross comes back into the body. And the body lives again. That is resurrection power. The Bible says that if the same spirit that dwells in you, that dwelt in Christ, it'll quicken your mortal bodies. It'll do the exact same thing that it did to him, it'll do to you as well. That's why the baptism of the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist preached this. He said, there's one coming after I whose shoes I am not worthy to unlatch. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, I look this up. And, and when we're talking about water baptism, remember the Greek word, baptizo, to dip, immerse, or to plunge? When John's saying that in the Gospels, it's the same word. So when we are water baptized, we are dipped, immersed, and plunged into Him. When we are baptized by the Holy Spirit, He is dipped, immersed, and plunged into us. They're both baptisms. And the Bible always attaches The evidence of this event of being filled with the Spirit of God, the evidence is speaking in tongues, speaking in a heavenly language. How in the world else are you going to know that God's done this event in my life? How am I going to know that you have the Holy Spirit and that God has done this supernatural, amazing event in your life? They heard them speak with other tongues and magnify god that's the evidence and and it's an amazing thing when we get to be baptized into christ but it's even more amazing when he's baptized into us the bible calls it a gift our pastor preached a mess, uh, a message last week about the gift of the holy spirit if you have not heard that go back on youtube listen to it it'll bless you but the bible says this is a gift from god Can you imagine the same Spirit in the beginning that spoke and it was, that created all things, that's not limited by anything or anyone. That Spirit of God, the all-powerful, almighty God, wants to live inside of you. Wants to operate through you. I felt this in Monday night prayer last week. It's so important to be in Monday night prayer God will will speak to you when we gather corporately together. We get something out of prayer that we can't get in our prayer closets in our homes. So Monday night prayer is is a big deal. And God spoke to me and He was saying, you know what? I've taught you for years how to walk in the Spirit. Now I'm teaching you how to operate in the Spirit. There has to be something that flows through you not just into you it has to flow through you somebody in this church has the gift of healing somebody in this church has the gift of tongues interpretations of tongue gift of faith gift of wisdom a word of knowledge prophecy that's here and god's wanting to teach us how to operate in those giftings but my my point is simple why wouldn't you want the spirit of god inside of you assisting you helping you being a comforter when you're in the storm being peace in a valley like why wouldn't anybody want this amazing gift of God in fact Romans teaches that we don't even know how to pray as we should because we pray with our own agenda we pray with our own experiences and, uh, and our own thoughts and, and, and kind of manipulate our prayers to fit what we think or what we believe. I prayed for years for a career that wasn't in my path. I was praying in error. But when I prayed in the Spirit, Romans teaches, it's the Spirit that maketh intercession for you with groanings that can't be uttered. The Spirit of God, listen to this, the Almighty Spirit of God wants to pray through you and He wants to pray for you because He knows your tomorrows. That's why praying in the Spirit is so powerful. It's because it's the perfect will of God for my life. Not what I think or not what I hope for. God knows what's best for me. When you pray in the Spirit, God's praying for you and through you. Why wouldn't anybody want that? I appreciate what Lauren had to say earlier. She didn't know what my message was. Um, She said that in the first service. She heard my message last service. But talking about her mom, too many times we can want the power of God. And we we want God to heal the cancer. And we want God to, to, to open the blind eyes. And we want God to just do the powerful things that we can see. But we were reminded again with Sister Hill, I just want to be in the presence of God. If I'm in the presence of God, there's there's fullness of joy. And so many times we look for that power, but you'll never have access to the power because His presence precedes his power and when we get into the presence of God and we learn to love the presence more than the power that's where the magic is that's where the real power is at is in the presence of God and so if you would stand we're going to have an altar service and and I'll invite everybody to the front if you've never been baptized like let's do that today if you've never repented of your sins or or looked to Jesus as your Savior, if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, with evidence of speaking in tongues, God wants to do that today. That gift is available today. Let's get it done. What a great celebratory thing. On Father's Day, God fills you with the Holy Spirit. On Father's Day, you're buried in the Father's name. What a great celebration it would be to watch God move and act and and transform your life. So as you come to the front, I want to challenge us. I can be guilty of this. Go ahead, come on up. We can treat altar service like it's praise and worship 2.0. Listen to me. Altar service is not praise and worship that's not what this is we've had praise and worship the presence of God has fallen we have heard the preached word and this is the time right now for God to interact with you this is the time for God to transform your life but we have to be disciplined enough not to just put our hands in our our pockets and and sing along with the praise team and and look around and think about the barbecue we're going to. I want God to do something. I I don't just wanna come here and play church and, and to leave the same way that we came. Somebody needs a touch of God today. Somebody needs God to do something miraculous today. And so if you would close your eyes and lift your hands, I want you to focus on God, block out every other thing, just you and God, and I want you to start talking to Him. I want you to invite God to be with you, and for His presence to show up, and as you do, and as that presence falls, God is going to start working things anew. He's going to do a new thing
1: in your life, in Jesus' name.